0: Real noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: This, 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 this. is Equity Mates on, on, on tour.
2: Equity Mates goes to Wall Street.
0: I will say this about investing. Everything you do or learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is new. Equity ha.
1: Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. And whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. Now, while we are licensed, we are not aware of your financial circumstances. All information on this show is for education and entertainment purposes only. Any advice is general. But with that said, my name is Bryce. And as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are
2: you? I'm very good, Bryce. Great to be here for our third and final episode of our long-term Compounder series, our Thursday episode cover, While We Go and Take America by Storm. Mm. Um, we're pre. We're recording this, so we may not have taken America by storm at all. We may have meekly got off the plane, sat in the back row of Berkshire Hathaway's <laughs> conference and then got on a plane and come home. Yes. But- we're pumped and we're doing this series on long-term compounders, looking at some of Warren Buffett's best investments, the companies that really drove his wealth and unpacking what we can learn from them.
1: So if you've just joined us, welcome. Uh, we've kicked off the series with perhaps one of his best investments and one of his longest, uh, Geico, and the uh, the lesson was doubling down on your best ideas. Uh, he had an investment of about 45 million and it turned into what a stagger the company's now worth 50 50- billion or thereabouts rent. So well played to Buffett. <laughs> uh, and then in the second episode, we actually looked at the perils of selling too early and used the uh, case study of Warren buying 5% of Disney for 4 million and selling it a year later for a 50% return of 6 million, but uh, it could be worth 9 billion today. And then that brings us to today's episode where we are actually looking at two key lessons. The first is mm. letting your companies go to work And then closing out with, you don't have to pick a side.
2: So Bryce, the companies that we're going to be looking at today, for letting your companies go to work, we're going to be looking at Moody's. Mm. Uh, And then finally, you don't have to pick a side, Visa and MasterCard. Although there's actually a heap of examples here that we can touch on. But let's start, let your companies go to work. Moody's is the company we're talking about. Yeah. Let's start with the investment story. How did Warren invest in Moody's?
1: So back in 1999, Buffett uh, invested in a data analytics and credit information business called Dunn and Bradstreet. Heard of them? Uh, Yes.
2: They're down 58% in the last five years and a third in the last year. Not good. Just Googled that before (laughs) the show.
1: Didn't know where to put it in. They are still (laughs) listed, yes. Dunn and Bradstreet. But then in 2000- there was a bit of pressure from shareholders and industry to for Dun & Bradsheet to actually spin off one of their subsidiary businesses, which was Moody's. So they spun it off into a separate company. Now, when this happens, you are entitled to to getting shares in the newly spun-off company. Now, an example here in Australia, most recently in my memory would would have been Woolworth's spinning off Endeavor, Endeavor. Group. Endeavor yep. Group, the liquor business, and also Wes Farmer's spinning off coals. Yeah. Um, In both instances, if you're a shareholder of Woolworths, if you're a shareholder of Farmers, you then also got Coles shares and Endeavor shares. Spinning
2: off is a confusing metaphor. Perhaps a more useful metaphor for people that don't quite understand is splitting off. Splitting off. Yeah. Woolworths was one company and they split themselves into two companies. And as a shareholder of Woolworths, you got shares in both companies. Yeah. And so that's what Warren did. He never invested in Moody's. He invested in Dunn and Bradstreet. And they own Moody's and at some point they said we're splitting Moody's off into its own company and Warren, you own shares in Dun & Bradstreet, here are your shares in Moody's. And it's actually gone on to be one of his best investments ever. Some argue, in fact, his best ever.
1: Some argue, yeah. So he ended up owning at its peak when it was split about 20% of Moody's um, and it was, actually a, it was actually a pretty good spin off because Dun & Bradstreet at the time was actually – a pretty do- not dodgy, but it was a floundering business, not going so well, but the business of Moody's was actually incredibly strong. Um, so it was a, a great result. He now owns 25 million shares in Moody's, which is about 13% of the company. Uh, and the company has a market cap of $60 billion. So
2: Buffett originally spent half a billion dollars buying those Dun & Bradstreet shares and his stake in Moody's is now worth over $7.5 billion. I think he's- topped up his Moody's position over time, though.
1: Uh, big time. Yeah, yeah, doubling down on his good ideas. Well, he, he loved the company.
0: What was so attractive to you about Moody's when you don't even use their product? Well, well we, 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 we are forced to use it in terms of our own ratings. I, I don't use it in terms of making my own credit judgments about other credits. That's and, what I'm talking and, about. And 10 or, 10 or 12 years ago, uh, we bought Dunham Brad Bradstreet, which consists of two really good businesses, Dunham Brad Bradstreet and Moody's, Moody's being the better business, because Moody's basically... Uh, Earns extraordinary returns on invested capital. It has a freedom to price, and it's got a wonderful uh, business. And and, uh, that's why we and Dunbar Street has a good business, too. So we bought it ten or twelve years ago. Purely look, I don't smoke, but I own Philip Morris kind of decision. Okay, that much I get. A lot of people here today are saying,
2: So, Bryce, Moody's people may have heard of it. Um, You're certainly in one today. Um, (laughs) What is it and why was it such a good long-term wealth builder? Uh,
1: It's a massive financial services business. Uh, It's made up of two parts. It's got Moody's Investor Services and this is the primary part of the business. It's the credit ratings. Credit ratings are really important and Moody's applies a credit rating to many financial institutions.
2: Yeah, you you may have heard about credit ratings in the news in relation to governments. Mm. Like You know, state governments, especially, are trying to do a lot to keep their AA credit ratings. U.S. Treasury would be AAA credit rated. That, like, you might equity mates might be triple B credit rated. Mm. Um, These credit ratings set the price at which governments, institutions, and companies can then go and borrow money.
1: Yeah, or lend.
2: Mainly borrow.
1: Yeah, it gives you access to capital. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so companies pay Moody's to provide them with a rating. That's how Moody's makes yeah. their money. And Buffett actually copped a bit of stick because he was a major shareholder of Moody's and Moody's would pr- provide the credit rating for Berkshire. Yeah, so, yeah, bit let's, of conflict of interest. But let's anyway, let's put the a second,
2: pin in copping a bit of stick around credit ratings because Moody's had a big role in the global financial big crisis. Big time, big time. We'll so the, get to that.
1: The second part of their business is Moody's Analytics. They provide intelligence and analytical tools to support uh, management. So, two parts to the business, but the ratings agency is the one that really attracted Buffett and and is what has been driving the success of the company for a number of reasons. It has a really wide moat. It's it's actually apparently quite difficult to break into this market. There are now sort of really two big players in the industry, Moody's and S&P, Standard and Poor's. Yeah,
2: and they each have about 40% market share.
1: Yeah, so to break into that is going to be quite difficult. Um, so in terms of having a, a strong competitive advantage, that's one of the reasons it's been a, a pretty good um I guess it's built a reputation and it's built a reputation of reliability, accuracy, so it has a stronghold in the industry.
2: Yeah, and if you wonder why that is the case, let's say that we wanted to start a rival ratings agency and we said Equity Mates is now giving credit ratings to major institutions. No lender is going to look at the Equity Mates rating and yeah. say, "Oh, well, I can lend oh, to the New South Wales government at four percent interest because they're a low risk investment." The the Moody's and S and P ratings agencies have so much power because they have so much trust in their brand, yeah. and then the like the networks that they have in finance. It's not a network effect per se, but I you could maybe argue, no, nah, probably not. But um, yeah, they've just. They've built this moat from their brand. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So they got a a big moat and then um, pretty stable cash flows and just similar to the first episode where Warren was attracted to businesses that are non-cyclical, similar situation here. Companies need to consistently have their credit ratings, uh, I I guess, checked.
2: Sorry, I just thought of another part of their moat, which is that uh, having everyone have a Moody's rating or having everyone have an S&P rating allows – Different companies and different institutions to be compared against each other. It would be useless if all of these different companies were getting rated from different agencies because it would be like, what does an Equity Mates AA mean compared to a Moody's B compared to a Commonwealth Bank rating? Mm. Th-
1: Double B. Anyway, I think we made the point. So both are non-cyclical, stable cash flows, high competitive advantage and moat, obviously leads to a pretty decent profit margins and high returns on capital. So um, it was a pretty attractive investment. Uh, In 2021, they rated over 35,000 organisations. So as you said, ran 40% of market share. Yes. However... It wasn't all plain sailing.
2: No. So he got Moody's shares in 2000, he being Warren Buffett. In 2008, the global financial crisis happened and Moody's and S&P were right in the middle of this. Why? Because they were giving good credit ratings to terrible credit products and those were the mortgage-backed securities uh, that – all these investment banks and all these institutions were investing in that ultimately collapsed when America's housing market collapsed. Mm. Moody's and S&P were meant to be reviewing these products and if they were bad products giving them bad ratings. Yeah. But they didn't.
1: No, and there was a quote from a um, uh, an analyst who used to work there and they said that post the spin-off in 2000 the the mood <laughs> really changed. <laughs> the analysts suddenly felt that their priority was to actually help gain market share rather than actually get ratings right.
2: And in the big short movie, there's that scene where the... Uh, I think it's... Uh, I was about to call him Michael Scott. Um,
1: uh, uh, Steve Carell yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: is speaking to the analyst from one of the ratings agencies and she's like, what are we meant to do? If we don't give them a good rating, they'll just go right down the street to our competitor. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what you're meant to do is both... Give them bad, right? <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Um, uh, but Moody's and S&P recovered. Um, Warren got dragged into a congressional hearing. He did. Um, but ultimately these two companies have sort of kept on
1: keeping on. And interestingly at the congressional hearing, you got a bit of insight into how, you know, this wasn't the story of GEICO where he'd been to the Moody offices and really done a whole lot of due, di- due diligence. He said he'd never been to Moody's. He doesn't even know where they're like located. He just knew that they had a pretty extraordinary business model. He did change his tune a little after the financial crisis and thought that they not, were no longer as bulletproof as, as they previously were. But um, he bought them 27 times. So
2: so um, here's, here's the numbers. From the start of 2007 to the start of 2009, Moody's fell 70%. Their share price fell 70%. From that time, from the start of 2009... Do you want to have a guess about how much they've
1: gone
2: up? 280%. 280%. 1,280%. So you're almost right. You just missed the thousand (laughs) on front of it. Wow. So, Ren, what's the lesson here? Let your companies go to work. As an investor, you have thousands of people working in these companies to make you more money. BHP employs 80,000 people. Commonwealth Bank employs 50,000 people. CSL employs 25,000 people. Woolies employs, what, 200,000 people? All of these people are incentivized with bonuses, with career progression to grow the company. And growing the company grows the share price. And that might be acquiring things, that might be spinning companies off, that might be inventing new products. And you as an investor can sit there and do nothing and let those people go to work for you. It's pretty powerful. And in this instance, Warren got shares in a spinoff, didn't do anything, didn't visit the office, as you said, and just sat back and let the Moody's team go to work and make him more money.
1: He's still with the belief that obviously the spin-off company was a good company.
2: Of course. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: I think the the history shows as well when companies are spun off, the one that is spun off generally outperforms as well in the shorter term. Um, so, sub lesson, that's just a little sub lesson. Oh, wow, a little sub lesson for <laughs> <Yeah>. us. <laughs> anyway, Ren, we'll take a quick break. And on the other side of this, we're going to look at two companies that have delivered 878% and 1,440% returns for Warren Buffett. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
0: Sun Tzu, the art of war. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. I wonder why fund managers can't beat the S and P 500 because they're sheep, and sheep get slaughtered.
1: Wall Street, 2023. This is Equity Mates on tour. So, Ren, we've just covered off uh, the story of Moody's, Moody's and letting your companies go to work, uh, and we're going to spend a, the second half of this episode. Looking at how Buffett has obviously identified a thematic or at least Berkshire has identified a thematic and rather than going all in on one company in that thematic has played both sides, Mm. in Mastercard and Visa. Yeah. Not one or the other, but both.
2: Yeah, that's right, Bryce. This isn't sport. This isn't politics. You don't have to pick a side when it comes to investing. You can have a little bit of both and... You can make money if one of them do well, if both of them do well, if all of them do well. And Warren Buffett has a habit of doing this. He owns the three major credit card players. Mm. He bought American Express in 1998. I think he actually bought American Express way Way back back, when in the salad oil crisis. Um, But then in 2011, the classic example of this, he bought Visa and he bought MasterCard.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah. But that's not the only example. In 2016, Warren Buffett, longtime critic of investing in airlines,
0: Massive. said... You couldn't pick a tougher industry, you know, ever since since Orville went up. And I said, you know, that if anybody had really been thinking about investors, they should have had Wilbur shoot him down and saved everybody a lot of money for 100 years. You can go to the internet and type in airlines and bankrupt, and you'll see that something like 100 airlines in that general range you know gone bankrupt in the last few decades and, and actually charlie and i were directors for some time of us air and be, be, people write about how we had a terrible experience in us Air. It, it, it was the one of the dumbest things i've ever done
2: but in 2016 buffett and Berkshire Hathaway buys all four major American airlines. You don't have to pick a side.
1: No, pretty sure though he sold them pretty soon after, didn't he?
2: No, I reckon he sold them for a loss in yeah. COVID.
1: Yeah, like he didn't do well from airlines. You don't
2: have to bat 100 a as res- an investor, you know? I lost a lot
1: of respect for Warren the day he bought all four, like four airlines. Did you? Yeah. He's he-
2: never had any respect for years. <laughs> so. I
1: thought he, yeah, it felt like a FOMO, FOMO play. Okay. Yeah.
2: Uh, like there, there was a fear of missing out on massive airline Airlines. gains in 2016. Yeah. I think that, I don't, I don't know <laughs> about all that. For, like, come on. I don't
1: think you do get FOMO.
2: He would have been worth about $80 billion at that time. I don't think you get FOMO if you have $80 billion. Well, I think you do. Only one way to find out.
0: <laughs> it's hard to understand Costco either. You know, I mean, it, it, there are certain fundamental models out there that do not take, you don't have the kind of ability that quantum mechanics requires. You just have to know a few simple things and really know them.
2: Costco has been a long-time love for him, and in particular for Charlie Munger. Uh, and then they also bought Kroger in 2019. Costco and Kroger are competitors, but as an investor, you don't have to pick a side.
1: Do you have examples in your portfolio of yeah one and the other?
2: So I own Woolworths and Coles. Yeah, um, I own. This is a good test for how well I know my portfolio. Mm. Well, all of the ATFs yeah. that I own. Overlap. Well, you know, like my S&P 500 ATF has Apple, Microsoft and yeah, stuff in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got rival fund managers. <laughs> not quite the same. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's any other. I'm sure there are, but I just can't quite think of them. Oh, like I own Shopify and Amazon.
1: Yeah. What about you? You got I'd, any examples I'd, for me?
2: I don't think I do.
1: Oh, not, well, that's not, a, not, at, not at single stock level. You reckon? Yeah, no. Nah. I'm thinking. I don't have Coles. I've got Woolies. I've got. Oh, that's a good question. I can't really think of. What's oh on yeah,
2: lot. you're putting me on the spot. Yeah. Now. <laughs> like
1: Airbnb. I don't have. I don't have like the Hilton. <laughs> 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 um. So no, I, I don't think I don't think so. What
2: about um, Amazon and Microsoft? Yeah. There Apple. you go.
1: And Google. And Google.
2: There you go. The yeah. three big uh, web services players.
1: True. Yeah. Um, cloud computing. Um, anyway, yeah.
2: Veolia and CleanAway? No.
1: Um, Do you own, own both of those? No. So, Bryce. So, what's the lesson? So,
2: let's Don't bring it play, it play both sides. <laughs> let's bring it back <laughs> to Visa and MasterCard. Uh, the classic example of you can play both sides and you can make money on both sides. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway bought both in 2011. Since then, I think until 2022, these numbers are from. They have made 878% on Visa and more than 1,000% on MasterCard, which comes out at 24% per annum for Visa and 27% per annum for MasterCard.
1: Since 2011. Yeah. Wow. So that's pretty good. That is solid returns for those companies. Visa and Mastercard. Yeah,
2: actually, that's another one. I own both Visa and Mastercard. <laughs> <Are you serious>? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, oh. Uh, well, uh,
1: did you know, Ren, that in 2022 he actually sold down parts of those companies? There you go. And did a pivot. So he sold a combined one, a combined 3.1 billion in both of in across Visa and Mastercard. 1.8 in Visa, 1.3 Mastercard, and then bought a billion dollars in New Bank. The to Brazilians. Is. Yeah. The Brazilian Neo Bank.
2: He's become really international in his later life, hasn't he? Big, big The question interest- is did he do it? Or was it Todd and Ted? Yeah. Bit? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, maybe that's the question we ask at the Berkshire Hathaway oh, annual meeting. Because as we said in a previous one of these episodes, I've got my question. You don't have yours.
1: Yeah. I'm going to ad libit. Nice.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, look, uh, we've been speaking about in these episodes why these companies have been such good long-term wealth builders. I feel like talking about Visa and MasterCard is probably unnecessary, but very quickly, very high level, these two companies have arguably the strongest moats of any companies in the world. They own global payment rails. Almost every non-cash payment goes through one of their... Rails, um, they have stupidly high returns on capital and stupidly high profit margins as a result, and no one else has had the capital to build a third payment rail to compete with mm. Visa's mm. rails or Mastercard's rails. Mm. I think both of their profit margins are over forty percent, mm. and they continue to take those profits and reinvest them at a high rate of return.
1: Mm. Both companies have been spoken about by a number of experts on the show. so
2: And there's obviously always questions about what's going to disrupt these companies. And if you speak to some big supporters of crypto, they'll say that there's, you know, crypto solutions, there's, you know, other online solutions potentially, but it feels like what we just see over and over again is they just partner with Visa and MasterCard eventually. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: So I guess the conclusion, Ren, is there is nothing wrong with playing both sides. If he'd only been loyal to one, he would have missed out on the 1,440% rise or the 878% rise. Well,
2: no, to be clear, if he had taken all of that money and just invested it in MasterCard, he would have done better. Because that was the one thousand four hundred and forty percent.
1: Well, what if he did it in Visa? Yeah,
2: but the the point is that you don't have to pick a side. Yeah. That you can hedge your bets. You can play all sides. I think we've said that enough. But yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Tide
1: rises or boats. If
2: he had if he had picked the one stock that would have done better than every other stock, he would have done better.
1: He'd be a billionaire.
2: <laughs> but the the fact of the matter is that's impossible to yes. do. And as an investor, you don't have to pin your colors to one company and say, they're either going to make or break my fortune. That's it.
1: Yeah. Well, let's leave it there. Uh, That's the end of our long-term compounder series brought to you by Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway. Wrap it up for me. What are the lessons that we've learned? So, and we started with episode one, which is doubling down on your best ideas. And we said there that the best, well, Warren actually, was it Warren who said the best idea is probably already in your portfolio? Uh, I think it was
2: it. actually Andrew Page.
1: Oh, was it? That's right, it was. I yeah. think a lot you're of people probably it. said it. <laughs> uh, well, cool, we coined it. Uh, the, sec- the second episode was all about the perils of selling too early and we looked at Disney and uh, then we've just closed out then with letting your companies go to work, uh, taking advantage of the spin-off if you're lucky enough and also uh, the idea of not having to pick one side. So a lot of lessons from Warren. If you haven't already... Check check out his website and uh, you'll see the investor letters that he writes every year. You love his website. 65. Check out his website just for a lol. We'll be back next week Monday with a, an Equity Mates chat and then Thursday we're back with an Ask an Advisor. And Ren, before we go, there was one thing that you wanted to close out with.
2: Yeah, I think we're talking about long term compounders and. We spoke about Moody's earlier in this episode, how it fell 70% and then 10 bags from there. All of these long-term compounders have had periods where they've hurt investors, where they've fallen a lot. And I just remembered, I just opened up uh, our first book, Get Started Investing, buy it wherever good books are sold. But we looked at the best performing stock over the last 10 years in Australia and the USA and the UK. And the point is the same in all of them. In Australia, it was Northern Star Resources averaged 79% per year over the past 10 years, but it fell almost half in 2016. In the US, Domino's Pizza averaged 44% a year over the past 10 years. It fell more than 20% in 2017. And then Games Workshop over in the UK uh, averaged 39% a year over the past 10 years. It fell more than a quarter, 26% in 2017. It's just a reminder that these long-term compounders, this long-term growth isn't linear. And so that's why these lessons are really important. Doubling down on your best ideas, especially if they get cheap, not selling too early, letting them go to work and do their thing and then playing all sides if you want to
1: play the room yeah nice well a great way to wrap it if and there is one ask from us if you can please rate and review equity mates investing podcast um that would be really really appreciated we do love the support and love reading the reviews a five star would be appreciated always helps us get in front of new uh beginner investors on the charts but Ren, we'll leave it there and we'll pick it up next week sounds good Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services License 540697.